I'm too grateful to be here with all of you today. And uh, with Gaur Purnima coming, we will discuss today on the topic of appreciating Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, especially of what we can learn about relational wisdom from him. Relational wisdom is wisdom about relationships. I'll talk about three A's, adversity, adventure, and advancement. And I'll be using this PowerPoint also as a whiteboard. So I'll be typing points as we move forward. And there are, of course, some things already in the PowerPoint. So the theme I'll be focusing on is about how Lord Chaitanya entered deep into the hearts of his devotees uh, through the events that happened in their life and through his interactions with them. And similarly, we can also try to learn that principle of how to have sweet, loving exchanges. Chaitanya Maha, Shila Rupa Goswami writes in the Ubdeshamrit that sharing our heart and hearing others share their heart is one of the critical limbs of bhakti. So how Lord Chaitanya practiced that limb for that purpose? Now, the story of Sanatana Goswami, of course, both Rupa Sanatana Goswami and the other Goswami also, this is a part of the most inspiring stories within the Gaudiya tradition. And Sanatana Goswami's story is actually involves more adversity and adv adventure than even Rupa Goswami. Various reasons. One reason is that they lived in a time of great challenge. Currently, the world is still reeling and recovering from the COVID pandemic. And as we are facing it, you know, we all get a glimpse of how difficult and unpredictable life can become. So Lord Chaitanya appeared at a time when life was similarly difficult and unpredictable, if not much more. That was the time when there was a tyrannical uh, Islamic ruler and uh, he was uh, devastating the all the remains of traditional Vedic culture and Rupa Zanathan Goswami very expertly acted as a shock absorber. They were very talented and competent and they got positions as his administrators. So you're talking about the adversity here. So what happens is the, the adversity was in multiple ways. The biggest part of the adversity for them was that they were trying to do something good. See, generally for us, when we face some difficulty, then we have difficulties and then we have adversities. Adversities are severe difficulties. Then it's relatively easier to accept. And when it, anytime we face difficulty, it's difficult to accept. But if it's come because of some big mistake of ours, uh, suppose we make a big mess in our job and then we are fired. Well, it's difficult to be here even then, but still, okay, I made a mistake. But if it's only a small mistake, so that is even more, less than sign means that is much more difficult to bear. The adversity seems even bigger. It seems 
even more unfair. So if it's due to some small mistake of ours, then it's even more difficult to bear. If it's due to no mistake of ours, then it becomes even more difficult to bear. I didn't do anything. Why am I going? Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering this? Then, if it is due to some, if we leave alone make any mistake, if we try to do something good, and that gets us into trouble, then that becomes even more difficult. Why is this happening to me? I only was trying to help. So if it's due to some good deed of ours, it's much more difficult. And if due to some, if there's hugely good deed of ours. And then, normally, when we do something good, we expect something good in return. If we try to help someone, and that person kicks us in the face or stabs us in the back, that becomes so much more difficult to bear. And if we try to do something, somebody a big favor for them, and then they they hurt us, it's very painful. So that is the kind of adversity that Rupa Sanatana Goswami faced. They had served this Nawab faithfully, and they had acted like a shock absorber between his uh, atrocious nature and these the devotional culture of bengal at that time so he got them into his employment and because he also needed to competent people to administer the kingdom so he let them let them have their space in that space they practiced their own bhakti they protected the devotees and they went on but eventually their hearts aspiration for lord chaitanya was so strong that they could no longer resist it that they had to they had heard about lord chaitanya they wanted to know him they wanted to be with him and they just had to so eventually when they uh, decided to surrender to lord chaitanya rupa goswami and the two brothers were working together in tandem but when rupa goswami decided he he wants to renounce the world the the nawab agreed reluctantly but he agreed okay at least your brother is there and he, he will take care of the administration for me but when sanatan goswami wanted to renounce the world that time it was impossible the nawab got furious and then what did he say he said that you cannot leave me like this i have trusted you so much See, in general, in any relationship, what happens is we all see how much we have done for the other person, whereas we don't see how much the other person is doing for us, and that is the difference between a we could say broadly a demanding relationship and a great and a rewarding relationship. So, in every relationship, we do something for others, and. Uh, <clears throat> the other person constantly keeps reminding us no i did this so much for you i did so much for you and they they overvalue what they do for us uh, and they undervalue what we do for them that's when relationships become extremely difficult so every relationship sometimes some people say some relationships work some relationships don't work well all relation relationships don't just work they all require work but how much work do they require that depends on whether there is a reciprocation or there is no reciprocation in the relationship if we are doing something for others and others are not doing something for others or others are not valuing what we are doing for them then what happens is uh, they start feeling you are doing nothing for me i am doing so much for you 
and that's when things become difficult so what happened is from the rupa sanatan goswami's perspective the, their values were different uh, what were the values were different that they were spiritually minded people uh, whereas whereas the nawab was not spiritually minded so he thought that i am doing them a big favor i gave them such position such power so you can see in relationship any relationship if you see over here there is this component of what we do for others and what others do for us so now in any relationship there is always this contribution and there is some expectation so when there is both there is some there is something substantial we do for others and there is something substantial others do for us so what we do for others is often demanding but when they are reciprocating then it becomes rewarding but if what we do for others is more than what they do for us now this may actually be more than what we do for us or it may be actually more or it may be that it appears more it appears too much i am doing so much for you so because different people have different value systems i'll come to that but when what we do for others seems much more and what others are doing for us seems too little then we, we it's demanding for us if if others are doing a lot for us and we are not doing anything for them or they feel it that way then it becomes demanding for them and if nobody is doing anything for anyone then it's demanding people start thinking why am i here at all what am i uh, why should i be spending my time in this so now what happened was rupa and sanatan goswamis they had done a great sacrifice but the problem was so sacrifice was unappreciated why unappreciated because their value systems were different the goswamis valued spirituality valued devotion and the nawab valued valued material gains material things so the goswamis actually gave up their devotion to a large extent they gave up the devotional culture in which they were living to a large extent they were brahmanas they had changed over they had they had been forced to convert because in those times in the if we consider that past when people lived largely <clears throat> every kind of uh, every situation required occasion of commitment at that time say if we join a company then what happens is the company may ask us to sign some documents that we will not leak the secrets of the company elsewhere so similarly at that time what happened was the value systems were so different that if one wanted political commitment political or managerial commitment that's what he wanted he didn't really care much but he was a islamic ruler and he i cannot have anyone who is not islamic in my administration so for political or managerial commitment he required religious conversion and it was a great sacrifice for rupa sanatan goswami and in fact that is one of the reasons why they never became sanyasis because in the society at that time if somebody had converted converted to islam then they were considered to have become contaminated by that and they would not be given uh, they could not they had lost their brahmanical status so they couldn't get sanyas but the goswamis were renounced and that's how they they took a baba ji vesh they became renounced in that way but in this case what had happened was the goswamis had sacrificed their spirituality 
and they had material comforts and material power, but they didn't really value that much because for them, Turnavat, it was insignificant. Uh, but for the Nawab, he thought, I had given you so much and you are abandoning me for what? For the religion which you said you had renounced, you are converted from. So for him, for the Nawab, the, Gos the Goswami's devotion was not just a distraction. Goswami's devotion was a betrayal for him. Because for him, what happened was, he, their conversion to his religion was the sign of their loyalty to him. And he says, you want to give up all that I'm doing, all that, all that I have given you opportunity to do for becoming religiously devoted? He said, consider that as a betrayal. And Sanatan Goswami was imprisoned because of that. And this was a, this was a problem in autocratic systems. That if the king is the ruler, there's one authority, then that one authority decision becomes final and there is no court of appeal beyond that. So he, he jailed, jailed Sanatan Goswami. And when Sanatan Goswami was jailed, at that time what happened was, there's no chance for him to come out unless he agreed uh, to give up his desire to renounce the world. And Therefore, what now Chanatha Goswami was not going to do that. And even if he did that, he would have to earn the trust of the, of the Nawab back again. So the Nawab jailed Chanatha Goswami and he went off. Now he was not a very, he was not into administration. He was more into expansion. He wanted to conquer more territories and have that ego trip that I rule so much. I have such a large kingdom. But who's going to maintain the kingdom? Somebody has to do that. So, for him, the Rupa Sanatana Goswami were very important tools. He said, I'll maintain the kingdom, you maintain the kingdom, I'll expand the kingdom. So, he went off and then Sanatana Goswami used various intrigues to get out of there. So, what did Sanatana Goswami have to do? Actually, here we see the determination of Sanatana Goswami. That in the Bhagavad Gita, it is said that even for great devotees, satatam that it requires great determination to, uh, to be devoted to the Lord. So we know determination is, we need determination because our senses are distracted, our mind is distracted. But for the great devotees, it's not like that. So we have to overcome both inner and outer challenges. So if we live in a country which largely has religious freedom, we may not have much religious, much outer challenges. Of course, we live in, a world, live in a world of temptation. So there are outer challenges. But there are outer challenges which even great devotees faced. So he had to create a whole story. And what are the story he created? He said, actually, I want to go to a holy place. And here there is a principle that comes up. So there are two ideas about ethics. Ethics can either be categorical or contextual. Context, categorical means to speak truth is, is good. To speak untruth is bad. That's, these are two categories. And that is fine. But what about considering consequences? What about considering intent? If somebody is uh, rioting, 
and our friend is hiding from those rioters and the rioters ask us do you know where your friend is if you tell the truth your life will be lost so there is contextual ethics that means for a higher purpose sometimes less than optimal means can be used less than ideal means can be used so contextual ethics means consider context so what are the context here there was no way sanatan goswami could escape if he was if he focused on honesty so for him the honesty was important but or we could say you know, more than honesty it is truthfulness truthfulness was important but the absolute truth was even more important for him the absolute truth is that we are ultimately parts of the lord we are meant to serve the lord we are playing some part over here in this world so he he created a whole story how i want to go to a holy place his purpose was definitely to go to a holy place but he had to persuade them persuade his jailers so he told them i am going to the holy place that they will value not a holy place that he would value and then he offered him some excuse by how he could get away from the nawab he offered him some um, financial allurement and this way he escaped so it is a great risk for his life because that person who was a minister who was the most you see how fortune changes in this world the same person who was what was the adversity that he faced the change of fortune was this person who was the most powerful one of the most powerful persons in the kingdom was now a fugitive running for his life from a minister to a fugitive and he did all this just because he was he wanted to be a devotee he wanted to serve the lord and he was a fugitive persecuted by one of the most tyrannical persons of those times and he had to except that so there was material misfortune you could say but that material fortune was the way to spiritual fortune for him so what was the spiritual fortune he wa- wanted to reach lord chaitanya he wanted to absorb himself in devotion and he accepted that it was a very risky journey to actually get to where he needed to be to reach lord Chait- uh, to reach the lord what happened is so he had to he had this adventures in renunciation what were the adventures in renunciation that first he had to for him his worldly profession was a distraction from his devotion and he decided no i cannot have this distraction i want to focus entirely on devotion then there was danger for his life as he went he was in he was in the bengal area and from bengal bengal is on the eastern coast of india and he wanted to meet lord chaitanya who was in the northern part at that time who was in varanasi so he had to walk and first was a fugitive in the kingdom of the nawab and there were various attempts threats to his life he had to give up all his possessions his uh, he had attendant with him he eventually renounced the attendant because that attendant couldn't renounce everything 
wanted to for sanatan goswami his security was his faith in the lord but his attendant wanted financial security he was not satisfied with spiritual security and what happened over here is sanatan goswami recognized that now what happens is we often don't realize how differing value systems change perceptions so we don't see things as they are we see things as they matter to us so we don't see things as they are nobody sees things as they are we are just not designed like that we see things as they matter to us so we go into a room now as soon as we go into a room depending on what matters if we have a if say it's a hotel where we are staying and we had a long travel journey the first thing we look is is there a comfortable bed is the ventilation good is the heating good so that you can just uh, tourism or sightseeing we may will see okay what kind of view is there from the window what kind of atmosphere is here if we are if we are going to a hotel and if somebody wants to party over there then they will see what kind of a, a facility what kind of facilities are there for partying if we go to a spiritual place and we're looking for spiritual thing then we will see who, who, are there some spiritual people over here so what we see things as they matter to us so what happened was sanatan goswami for him he realized that financial security was bringing him insecurity how is that possible because he was he was just traveling alone and when people suspected that he might be having some money they would try to threaten him and they would try to they would try to kill him so he said he actually his servant had some some gold coins some precious things and he just gave it to one of the bartenders uh, one of the innkeepers along the way he said if you don't take it somebody else will take it from me so what happened was for him there is only now the devotional security devotional security is what that that i am in the lord's hands you know that tesham aham samuddharta mrityu sansar sagarat bhavami na chirat partha mai aveshit chetasam that i will be delivered by my lord if i just fix my mind on him that the lord knows what is best for us better than we do so this is the essence of devotional faith or devotional security the lord knows better than us what is best for us so this is not a very easy faith to have even if we can't have this faith if we just have faith that things happen for a purpose that also is a step forward so for him he renounced all material security and he moved on and finally after a very difficult and dangerous journey he reached lord chaitanya and because he had been living as a as a muslim person and he was traveling through parts of the world which were ruled by muslims so he had dressed up also he appeared like a muslim so what happened was now now again and there's nothing uh, specifically this is not a criticism of islam in any way uh, islam is a very broad religion a very big religion in the world and like in every religion there are people in the modes of goodness passion and ignorance there are broad minded people there are narrow minded people there are intolerant people in every religious tradition 
So at that particular time, the religious tradition and especially the rulers of that religious tradition were intolerant. So, so he he was dressed like that. And Lord Chaitanya. So when uh, Lord, when he reached Lord Chaitanya, he Lord Chaitanya is the super soul in the heart. So he said that, no, is there a great devotee who has come out there? And the Lord Chaitanya attendant went there, uh, uh, the host and went outside. And he said, no, there is no, there's nobody over there. There is, so you know, there's no devotee out there. So then is there someone out there? He asked him. So yeah, there is, there seems to be a Muslim mendicant over there. Okay, bring him inside. And when he came inside, Lord Chaitanya embraced him. So Lord Chaitanya didn't see, see the substance. He saw the, he didn't see the appearance. He saw the substance beyond the appearance. He saw the heart. See, the world sees us outside in. It looks at how we'll appear. And then if we appear respectable, if we appear attractive, if we appear as if we have something of value, then people may want to know us more. And then they will look at what is inside us. But the Lord sees us inside out. So he knew what was there in Sanatana Goswami's heart. And what did he do? He he moved forward and he immediately embraced Sanatan Goswami. The Lord Chaitanya was a sannyasi. And there was this is a time when the caste boundaries had become quite stratified in Indian society. Although the bhakti tradition opposed those, but still they were quite stratified. And for, for, for such a person, for, for sannyasi to actually embrace the word. Embrace anyone was unusual. Sannyasis don't embrace anyone so commonly. But for him to embrace this unknown person who looked like a, a Muslim mendicant, that was extraordinary. But Lord Chaitanya didn't see it all. And the Lord Chaitanya, all the, all the people around him were bewildered. And the Lord Chaitanya introduced him. This is Sanatana Goswami. He's a, he's a great devotee. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu started glorifying him. And then Sanatana Goswami told his whole story about how, what all he had to do to come to Lord Chaitanya's shelter. And now, at this point, the reaction of Lord Chaitanya is extraordinary. Normally, if somebody goes through great adventure, ad great adversity and adventure, now it was adventure in renunciation in the sense that if somebody is it had been materialistic, they would not have considered it as adventure. They would consider it a disaster. No, I lost my wealth. I almost lost my life. I'm penniless. But because his focus was on devotion, was on gaining inner enrichment through devotion, on gaining the mercy of the Lord. So he didn't feel anything as a, as a disaster. He said, oh, this is a way for me to turn away more and more from all the distracting things of the world and go deeper and deeper into my relationship with the Lord. So for Sanatana Goswami, it was an adventure in devotion, an adventure in renunciation that led to devotion. But then when Lord Chaitanya uh, heard about all his adventurous story, he could have appreciated him. Oh, how much you sacrificed, O Sanatana Goswami, uh, that who can be as renounced as you? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did do that, but he did that in a slightly different way. What did he say? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu attributed it all to the super soul which is interesting he said 
the super soul has been very merciful to you so that despite having so much wealth so he said the mercy of the lord is that amid so much opulence you could have so much renunciation that is the mercy of the lord and normally we may think of mercy as if we get a lot of opul opulence that's what we may think as mercy uh, and but the lord said okay ultimately what is mercy what is purification what is transformation see the essence of essence of transformation the transformation is transformation of values and now what do we mean by values values are not just abstract things you know okay this person has good values this person has bad values values simply refers to what we value so we could say that what we consider what we consider valuable reflects our values so what we what we consider valuable reflects our values and so what what lord chaitanya is saying over here that although you had so much wealth which the world considers valuable but what you what you that you you realize the value of devotion and you are ready to risk even your life and renounce everything else for this that that indicates that you have received the mercy of the lord so mercy mercy is ultimately transformation of values mercy is not just as like somebody touches us and we feel some electric light going through our body or we close our eyes and we see some mystical vision well those things may happen to some people but those are just if at all they are they are not hallucinations and there may be some some kind of some mystical experiences but more than mystical experiences what we want is a elevated state of consciousness an elevated state of consciousness centers around the transformation of values so the transformation of values is the essence of mercy how do we know that somebody has received the mercy of the lord when what they value starts changing the same thing that we Felt we would not be able to live without. Oh, it may be TV watching, it may be overeating, oversleeping, it may be gossiping. Then suddenly, hey, this doesn't make any sense. Why should I spend time on this? There's so much more to do in my life. So, if our values change, that indicates we have received mercy. If we value the opportunity to hear about the Lord, if we learn to value the opportunity to speak about the Lord, to share His message, to chant His holy names, to do bhakti. that is indicating that we have received mercy so is it our determination i will give this up and i will take that up well definitely our determination is a part of it but the transformation doesn't happen only by our determination there is that our determination plays a part but the transformation is what happens by the lord's grace and this is where we could say there is a difference between um, determination and purification so what is the difference between these two things so we can say growth in devotion so growth in devotion happens in different ways so there is there we could say first is there's determination determination means even if i am attracted to something non devotional 
I will resist. That is determination. Purification means I am no longer attracted to anything non-devotional. So that's purification. And ultimately for us, we want not just purification, but absorption. Hmm? I lose myself in my Lord. That is the ultimate thing that we want in our lives. So this is from determination through purification to absorption. So Adav Shraddha. So Shraddha is favorable curiosity. Shraddha, Shraddha, Sadhu Sangha, Bhajana Kriya, Anartha Nivritti. So like that, we move forward in the stages. So determination is required right in the beginning to start off the practice of bhakti, to start off associating with devotees, to start off doing bhajana kriya. But from then, anartha nivritti happens. And then, nishtha, ruchi, asakti, bhava, prem. We move that way in the relationship, in, in our relationship with the Lord. So this is how advancement happens. And now, determination is something which we can strive to have. I don't feel like doing this, but I will do it. That's determination. However, purification when that the attraction to worldly things itself disappears, that's not in our hands. That happens by the Lord's grace. And absorption, when the Lord reveals his attractiveness to us, and we just put aside everything else for his sake, that comes entirely by his mercy. So that's why these are progressive stages. And we can't, if uh, we, we shouldn't think that I have become pure, rather the law by Lord's mercy has made me pure. So determination we try to master as much as we can, but purification and absorption come by the Lord's grace. And in this way, Lord Chaitanya again, he didn't only accept him, embrace him, but Lord Chaitanya also instructed him. Instructed him, see the greatest mercy is, mercy can come in many installments. If you want to understand the principle of mercy, actually, we can say that installments of mercy. Now, mercy is sometimes we have this idea that <clears throat> when will I receive the mercy of the Lord? Will I ever get mercy of the Lord? If we say I don't get the mercy of the Lord, then does that mean the Lord is not merciful? So the mercy of the Lord is analog, not digital. That means analog means digital means it's not just one zero. That we have the mercy, we don't have the mercy. No, we have degrees of mercy. So, just the opportunity for bhakti is itself mercy. So, Sanatana Goswami got this opportunity when he was able to renounce the worldly shackles or even before that when he was able to create some space for himself amid the worldly situations. So, that was mercy. But, Opulence in bhakti, opulence in bhakti can be various things, is also mercy. So opulence can be that somebody becomes uh, expert in a particular service, they can speak beautifully, they can sing wonderfully, they can decorate the deities very nicely, they develop an extraordinary level of sense control and renunciation. Hmm. Opulence in bhakti is greater mercy, we could say. Actually, but humility in bhakti is the greatest mercy. Because, why is humility the greatest mercy? Because when we have humility, we no longer stay caught in self-consciousness. 
but we can offer our entire consciousness to Krishna. Otherwise, we may have opulence in bhakti. We may be able to sing very well, speak very well. But what are we thinking? How great I am! How powerful I am! And when thinking in that way, then we are not really growing much in bhakti because we are not offering our consciousness to the Lord. So humility is the greatest mercy. And what was Lord Chaitanya doing? He was helping Sanatan Goswami see this. That yes, you renounced, and that is glorious. But don't think it is your glory. It is ultimately the Lord's glory. It is the super soul in the heart who has been merciful to you. And Sanatan Goswami, with appreciating with the disarming humility, he says, "It's actually I don't know who the super soul is. I don't know who Krishna is. I only know who you are, my Lord. I only know who you are, and I surrender my life to you." And now Sanatan Goswami. When he had been coming on his way, what had happened was, at that along the way, he had met one of his friends, one of his relatives, Srikant, and he had said, you know, oh, why are you living like this? You are a minister. Why are you living like a pauper? You stay with me. I will help you live in comfort. He said, no, no, no. I don't want to live. I want to go to Lord Chaitanya. Then he said, okay, at least take something from me. So he had given an expensive blanket. And Sanatan Goswami had that blanket. Now, what happens is sometimes you know, we we are unmindful. We are unaware of perceptions. That means we we are often so caught in our thought that we don't think about how people perceive us. Now, should we worry about how people perceive us? Well, yes and no. Hmm. the principle is be mindful of others perceptions but don't make your mind full of others perceptions we need to be aware see we live in a, we don't live in isolated we don't live yeah, as a island we live in a society we live in a community uh, we can't be blind to how people perceive us don't let your mind become full of people's perceptions so we can't let everything that we do be defined by how the world perceives us but we need to be aware of how the world perceives us why because how the world perceives us determines how the world receives us now if the world perceives us as say for example in the western world if people perceive us oh we are just a, a indian group then most people will say only people who are interested in something indian indian culture or indian group they will come to us but they say okay we are spiritual people oh, i want to be spiritual i want to learn from you so we have to be aware of how people perceive us how people perceive us determines how people receive us receive means how much they are receptive to us so what happened with uh, this is Sanatan Goswami was just so happy with, to be with the Lord that he he was unmindful that his his blanket which he had was was out of sync with this with the way he was living. He was a mendicant, and he had this very expensive blanket with him. He was not even thinking about that expensive blanket. It was just okay when it gets cold. I have this blanket with me. But he didn't even bother about it. He was not thinking. He had no thoughts about it. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was looking at it repeatedly. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is also so sensitive. 
he's the lord but what happens is he doesn't correct he doesn't condemn sanatan goswami he doesn't correct him immediately the lord is also sensitive so here it's important that we be sensitive so what happens is just because we are right doesn't give us the right to correct others we have to have the relationship we may have to earn the right through to developing the relationship generally what happens is whenever anybody corrects us why are you correcting me like this what's going on over here it's not never pleasant to be corrected so just being right doesn't give us the right to correct others we have to earn the right and all the chaitanya mahaprabhu is god all the chaitanya mahaprabhu is the person to whom sanatan goswami has surrendered is not just some god who exists somewhere sanatan goswami accepts him as his be all and end all and yet chaitanya mahaprabhu doesn't directly condemn or chastise him just uh, looks repeatedly at the at the blanket and uh, now sanatan goswami is also astute he is so devotionally absorbed that he is a little oblivious at this time but he is also astute he understand that chaitanya mahaprabhu is not pleased with me maybe i shouldn't have this blanket and he goes to a, a beggar on the varanasi river banks and he says oh you have this torn quilt can you give that to me and you can have this blanket he says are you making fun of me who would do exchange like this but for sanatan goswami the basis for the exchange was not the material value but the spiritual value he said he was not concerned about how valuable the blanket was he was concerned with what will please the lord and what will please the lord he wanted to do it and he said he said no i am in earnest just take this blanket and he gave this he gave his blanket to him and then he took the torn quilt and when he came back to lord chaitanya lord chaitanya asked him hey, what happened to your blanket and he told the story told us what had happened lord chaitanya was very pleased lord chaitanya embraced him and blessed him and then after that lord chaitanya gave him instructions elaborate instructions on the process of bhakti which forms several chapters in the chaitanya charitamrita so it is what what this conveys this is the concluding point we'll have and then we can have a couple of questions that you know that when we get wisdom instruction is a result of reciprocation the lord instructs those who are ready and he has his own tests about who are ready so we can only help the unable not the unwilling not the unwilling means if somebody doesn't want to be helped then we can't help them no matter what we what we do sometimes in india if a car is not working a car is not turning on then people may the driver may ask others for help and other people will come and they will push the car from behind and as everybody people try to push the car from behind the person is trying to steer the wheel from inside then together the car starts off but suppose people are pushing the car from outside and somebody inside is just sleeping has gone to sleep or worse till somebody inside is actively breaking the car then the people outside say why should we keep pushing um, so what happens is they have to 
people outside can push to certain extent pushing a car that doesn't work it requires work and the work is required by both the person inside and the people outside so similarly when we try to give instructions to anyone there has to be some reciprocation some willingness they should be maybe they are not able to do it but if they are unwilling to do it then we can't really help them so chaitanya mahaprabhu was testing sanatan goswami's willingness how much is he willing to renounce so when he saw that he is ready to take a hint oh, that you want to be instructed you want to be guided then the lord gave him much more guidance so the same principle applies in our lives also sometimes we may be confused in this situation what should i do what should i not do so when we are in confusing situ- confused situations so if we are confused what can we do so do what is clear to us now what what is clear to us means that we may be confused you know should i stay in this place or that place should i take up this job or that job should i have should i form a relationship with this person or that person and spiritually should i become initiated by this spiritual master or that spiritual master so what we can do is do what is clear to us that means there are certain things which we have to do whatever else we do we do our sadhana we do our study of scriptures this is vital this is universal so we show the lord we want to be guided the things which we know we should be doing that if we do that uh, uh, if we do those things what we know is right what will happen by that if we do what is uh, we do what is clear to us what we know is right by this we show the lord that we want to be guided then he will make the unclear clear for us that's how the lord works he's reciprocal so इंस्ट्रक्शन The Lord opened his heart and enriched him with instructions, with wisdom that has become become a legacy for generations and generations of devotees to come. That has become of the part of the central canon of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So this is how Lord Chaitanya tested and blessed Sanatan Goswami. So I'll summarize what I spoke, and we can have a few questions. so today i spoke on this theme of l- learning from lord chaitanya's re- re- interactions with sanatan goswami and we talked talked about three themes broadly adversity adventure and advancement so sanatan goswami what was the adversity he taken a selfless service of being a shock absorber a buffer between the tyrannical islamic ruler and the 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 pious devoted culture of the times in bengal but eventually when he had it enough he wanted to offer his life to lord chaitanya he faced difficulty so adversities are especially unbearable uh, when we feel we have done nothing to deserve them when we have done something good and something bad happens to us so that's what happened 
He wanted to offer his life to the Lord, and he was imprisoned, and he had to find various ways to come out of it. So we talked about the four quadrants that if two people have different value systems, then each person may feel I am doing so much for you, and other person feels you are not doing anything for me. So if what we value, what we do for others. is more than what we feel others are doing for us then the relationship starts becoming a drain it becomes demanding for us and vice versa from the other perspective also so then so sanatan goswami had sacrificed a lot to serve the sanat to serve the nawab but the nawab felt that i have given you so much how can you renounce this all and you betray me you are converted to our religion and you are going to your own holy place and you want to do your bhakti and give up my respons- responsibilities he imprisoned him and sanatan goswami had to had to subordinate truth to the absolute truth uh, truth with the lower case to absolute truth with the upper a and upper t upper case t so and then he managed to escape and there also he had great risks he risked his life and finally he reached the lord and when lord chaitanya re saw him lord chaitanya saw beyond his appearance to his substance he had a heart of gold heart filled with devotion lord chaitanya embraced him and then sanatan goswami had done so much uh, sacrifice risked his life itself to he had given up all material security from a prisoner from a minister he had become a fugitive from a wealthy person he had become a pauper he had given up all financial security and put faith in the lord so it was glorious what he had done lord, lord chaitanya didn't just glorify him he said the super soul has been very merciful to you and in that we discussed that uh, there is there are various degrees of mercy mercy is not digital it's analog so just to have the opportunity for devotion is mercy to gain some opulence in devotion is greater mercy but to have humility in devotion is the greatest mercy and determination is something which we can try to master by our effort but purification determination means we keep doing the right thing and avoiding the wrong things even if our feelings don't go with us but purification means that we are no longer attracted to worldly things to unworthy temporary things and absorption means that we get completely attracted spontaneously towards the lord so that's the progression So purification, determination may come by our effort, but purification in terms of the change of our values that comes by the Lord's mercy. So then, lastly, by Sanatan Goswami is giving up his blanket. What is being taught over here is that the Lord gives His mercy in extraordinary ways, and without. Uh, but what is the principle? It is that reciprocity. When Sanatan Goswami took the hint, and he's he gave up his blanket he he had not even thought about that blanket because he was so absorbed in ecstasy of being with the lord but he saw the lord in his face he gave it up immediately and that pleased the lord so in our lives also when we feel confused if we keep in mind that what is clear for me let me do that then what i know is right if i do it then we will be guided by the lord from within and that's way from the confusing situations we can uh, come to clearer understanding of what to do and how lord chaitanya guided also is instructive although he is god he didn't uh, condemn chaitanya goswami is having a expensive blanket 
So just because we are right, it doesn't give us the right to correct others. We need to earn that right by our spirit, by investing in that relationship. So thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Are there any questions or um, reflections? Sure, I have a question. Thank you so much for thank you so much for being here with us. Um, Hare Krishna. I really appreciated um, all the things you were sharing about relationships, and in particular that graph that you showed about um, it was something like um, uh, you kind of showed the the parallels between giving to others and others and receiving from others as well. Um, I thought that was really nice, and just the correlations you made between uh, Santanand Goswami and Lord Chaitanya, of course. Um, but my particular question has to do with one particular slide that you had mentioned that we should resist anything that's non-devotional, and that is our determination. And the second part of that uh, slide that I remember was that uh, in due time, uh, there will be absorption, or actually I think that was the last part, but the, the middle part after determination was... Purification. What's that? Purification. Yes, purification. Yes, and in, in due time there would be purification and we would no longer feel that attraction um, yes. toward non-devotional things and eventually there would be a complete absorption in, in the Lord. So I was wondering if you could elaborate more specifically on what you meant by what was considered non-devotional things and um, how how can we resist them considering that we are actually especially for 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 those that live outside of the temple um we are all constantly bombarded by quote unquote non-devotional things uh, yeah, i think yeah. that's it for now so actually there's definitely that requires explanation and thank you for asking this question Basically, I would say there are two distinct things over here which need to be understood that uh, when we take no, talk about non-devotional, it's not, again, black and white. It is a matter of uh, progression. So we can say broadly there are three things. There, are, there is working with material desires there is working for material desires, there is working on material desires. Now, this might seem a little complicated. I just have a PowerPoint slide, which I'll show you quickly. Uh, that will make things a little clearer. So the point is that we all have certain desires and not every worldly desire is necessarily against the principles of bhakti. There are some desires which are contrary to the principles of bhakti and those which are con contrary, we have to be careful about them. But uh, working with material desires means that we work, we have certain desires, we can't give them up right now, but that doesn't mean that they become our driving or defining desires. We work on, we work with whatever desires we have without necessarily making them grow. 
so there are certain desires which go directly against our devotional principles so for example we can say eating meat if you want to develop for the lord how can we develop love for the lord if we have uh if we are actually killing his children those living beings which are his parts if we are killing them then it's very we might say that i have love for the lord but it's actually a little a little utopian to say that it's not it's not very deep in that case so the idea is that for each of us when we want to develop the love for the lord it is important that we recognize that we have to move forward gradually so so what can we do about it we just take it step by step so rather than trying to in bhakti we don't have to focus on what we have to give up we focus on what we want to take up if we keep right things gradually giving up the unwanted things will become much easier so if don't don't worry too much about what we have to give up worry focus on what we have to take up take up means it that what what is it that i want to do in my spiritual life and as i focus on that more and more what needs to be given up will automatically happen so the idea is take things step by step and step by step means that there are just like if you consider relationship in general if you want to develop a relationship what do we need we need to consider what the other person likes and we do those things the things which the other person doesn't like we avoid those things that's what uh, and if the other person is also a, is a good person is is a they have good value system then trying to please them will actually make us better it will help us it will also help us grow it will help us uh, understand that okay these things are something which i needn't be doing so in trying to so same principle applies in our relationship with the lord also it's not just a matter of following rules but understanding that i want to please the lord so we don't see that okay what are the things which will please the lord i do that so let's look at it this way see when we want to deal with our worldly desires there are three things there is working for them working for them means that our life is defined by trying to fulfill those desires so some people for them lust and greed and anger they think these are sources of power and pleasure that's working for them working with them means okay i have these desires it's not that i am actively fueling them i am not creating fantasies in my mind uh, and i am not fueling those and our fantasies might arise but i am not fueling them actively and is working on them okay i have these desires we can't wish them away so i work on them work on them means we are trying to uh, purify and redirect our desires so generally speaking as devotees we try to avoid this first quadrant working for them now that also depends because sometimes some desires may be very strong and we may have to work for them for some time till we can get rid of them but generally uh, we try to avoid that so if we consider even the devatas they have they they have sensual desires 
the asuras the demons also have some sensual desires but the though, though the godly and ungodly both have sensual desires the difference is the godly don't live for those sensual desires they follow the lord vishnu bhakta smita deva asuras tad viparya they follow the lord and while following the lord they also want fulfillment of their desires but they're not living for those desires only that doesn't define and drive their life so when i talk about change of values as devotees our focus needs to be on this in the third part working on them that means practicing bhakti to purify and redirect our desires so we focus on redirecting our desires not that i don't want to do this this is what i want to do i want to be with devotees i want to spend more time in association i want to spend more time learning scripture when we have focus and gradually we'll be able to connect with uh, the other things will fall in place so the more we cultivate healthy desires the more unhealthy desires will go away the, because it's very difficult to say no to things saying no is never pleasurable i conclude with an example that say suppose somebody invites us for uh, some party or some some get together and we're not really interested but if they are inviting us it's we may want to say no but we have to think of what excuse will i say to say no or what reason will i come up with but if at that time we have another engagement then it becomes relatively easier to say no why i have to do this so similarly for us if you think i will not do this i will not do this i will not do this that's difficult to do to say no to any desire we try to find out something to say yes to and then saying no to things becomes much easier by that so in bhakti there are many things we can say yes to and we can find out something which we like within bhakti and we can keep saying yes to them we may like to cook for the lord we may like to do some book distribution for the lord we may like to recite verses we may like to share the wisdom of share his message we may like to hear classes find what we like to do and strengthen that desire and gradually that desire will help us uh, will become the engine for our inner transformation does it answer your question yes it does but it also leads to other questions <laughs> so um i'll ask if anybody else has any questions and if, if yeah i have a question yes please uh, uh please accept my humble obeisances prabhu ji thank you for the wonderful class my question is that uh, how do we differentiate between um, you know beating oneself up over things and so low self esteem over humility how to differentiate humility from the other feelings oh okay that is so the key difference between um, humility and uh, beating ourselves is humility when we are beating ourselves we are devaluing ourselves the essence of humility is not devaluing ourselves it is valuing something bigger than ourselves the essence of humility is not devaluing ourselves it is on valuing something bigger than ourselves humility means to not let out uh, so i i write on the bhagavad gita every day an article at gitadaily.com that's my website so i'll just share a, the link to an article over here so these are all articles on humility on gitadaily.com there are about 35 articles on humility itself so you can just search for humility over there you will get it but here humility means to not let our ego come in the way of our purpose so we all have to 
what do we want to do in our lives humility is not so much about what are the things which i do it wrong or what are things i am incapable of doing what are things which i mess up things that's not the essence of humility humility means that there are some things so important in my life that i will not let my ego come in the way of those things humility means to not let our ego come in the way of our purpose if our purpose is beating ourselves up that is not humility our we all have a purpose the lord has made all of us as his parts and we all have a thing to do thing to we all have we all have something valuable to contribute we all the lord loves us that's why he's there with us in our hearts he treasures us so when we lack humility we become puppets of our ego so when so that means if i am not respected why should i do this thing well respect or disrespect can be one factor we consider and now when i am talking about respect and disrespect it can be not just others uh, others respect and disrespect it's also our humility is not lack of self respect humility is lack of self absorption self absorption is i am always thinking of myself thinking of myself now if we if we don't respect ourselves we are actually not respecting a part of god so to disrespect ourselves is to disrespect god ultimately not that we are god but we are parts of god so uh, we cannot we cannot be disrespectful to ourselves if we are parts of god so humility is not lack of self respect it is lack of self absorption or self obsession where i think you know oh i'm so bad so the i and i can't do this so i i made a mess of that okay i did those things but still god loves me still krishna is there in my heart with me and still every day offers a fresh chance for me let me take that so humility means two things it is not to have a meaningful purpose and not let our ego come in the way of the purpose and humility is not lack of self esteem it is lack of self esteem self respect is lack of self obsession so i'll post a link for this in the zoom chat this article and if you want you can subscribe for this gita daily articles also the daily i write sure. article you might find that helpful also thank you very much hari krishna hari krishna are there any other questions do we have time depends sure they want me to ask another question so i'll i'll ask uh thank you um well one <laughs> One thing that uh you had mentioned was um taking care of cows. And so obviously uh, as a uh, devotees and vaishnavas we want to take care of all living entities and there seems to be a limit to all the living entities that we can take care of. So what would you say I mean how how is that line drawn um because you know sometimes we kill roaches or we kill other things um because they're you know invading our space or so in in a way there there can be the argument made that you know at what point does who determines where where that line is drawn um i think that's a decent are question are you talking specifically about cows or are you talking about everybody people in general Means is it about cow care or in general how much do we extend ourselves for others? Is that what your question is? 
Well, I mean, it's just uh, like, for example, um, the Janes, right? Uh, Janes won't eat carrots or potatoes. So um, just different, different traditions and different uh, people. Yeah. Okay, so that's so. <clears throat> when we take care of, we say we take care of cows. So, to what extent do we go in that direction? Say, for example, uh, gens may want to avoid far more things than what we do. Even we consider vegans, you know, they avoid even all animal animal products. So, even when caring for the caring for other life forms. What are there any limits to what we go? Yes, that's an important question. There is always a danger in pursuing any value. The nature of the mind is that whatever it values, it tends to make it the supreme value. Whatever the mind values, it tends to make it the supreme value. So it can happen to things which are not too important. Some people become sports fans. And they become obsessed with sports. So similarly, people can become obsessed with trivial things. Sometimes somebody can become obsessed with even with valuable things, but they may not be supreme value. So yes, non-violence or uh, non-violence toward animals or non-violence toward all living beings. That's an important principle. True. And certainly we don't want to hurt animals in any way. At the same time, that is not the supreme value. Why is it not the supreme value? Because ultimately, what can we do? Death is inevitable in this world. Distress is inevitable in the world. Jivo jivasya jivanam. That one life form is the food for another life form. That, that was what, uh, as uh, a famous Western poet, he said that nature is sometimes seen as this very beautiful, benevolent, create, benevolent being. But nature is red in tooth and claw. Say red in tooth and claw means nature can be brutal. One life, survival of the fittest, as Darwin talked about. So the point is that in we, we cannot live in isolated from our ecosystem. We cannot be the odd men out, completely distancing ourselves. So we live in a symbiotic universe. And we try to harmonize ourselves as much as possible with nature. So, but what is natural? Ultimately, it is, if we want to say we want to live naturally, what does it mean? So, animals don't really have any kind of culture. We human beings have culture. We, uh, the purpose is not just to live naturally, the purpose is to live spiritually. And we live naturally to the extent we can live spiritually. So, uh, if you want to say I live only naturally, then in nature, animals don't wear clothes. So do we want to live like that? We may say that's natural, but that won't be very spiritual. That will be, it will make us obsessed with worldly desires and worldly passions, worldly cravings. So just because something is natural doesn't necessarily make it spiritual. And sometimes something which is spiritual require us to restrain that which is natural because we also have a lower nature. So we may have a nature to get angry, but we try to behave in a courteous, respectful way with others. We try to be humble. So, so what are the limits? Well, the, we can generally 
rather than focusing on what is the limits focus on what is the purpose so if somebody is going on a road no can i steer how far can i steer on the left how can I, how far can i steer on the right well the point is where do you want to go why can't i go on this why can't i go steer to the right why can't i go in this alley why can't i go in that that uh, um, bypass well where do you want to go that's the important thing so focus on the purpose and then the path becomes clear otherwise we have every crossroad that we come to we think oh, should i go here should i go there where do i want to go so for us ultimately our purpose is to spiritualize our consciousness and uh, those who think that now we will live completely free from violence well that's good but how far can we go in that will we not take medicines so for example if we take antibiotics when we are sick what is an antibiotic basically it's a systematic killing machine it's a killing tablet or killing medicine it's like it's a machine it doesn't seem like a machine to us in terms of having multiple parts but it is it is a mechanical thing which kills the doctors from a perspective we say they are saviors of our life but from the perspective of bacteria and uh, uh, other other pa- parasitical forms pathogenic the doctors are systematic killers trained killers well are they trained killers well no they are not going about killing life they are going about saving life for the purpose of saving life life has to be killed what can we do in general when we say that this world is a place of distress dukkhalaya what it means is not that everybody has to be always miserable it means that in it can mean many things but one thing it means is that in this world there are no perfect solutions there are only tolerable trade offs tolerable trade offs so we we it for practically no problem in world can we have a perfect solution some people want to have the perfect relationship well they'll have to wait for the rest of eternity they'll have to go back they'll have to wait till they go back to krishna to have a perfect relationship so that doesn't now that doesn't mean that there can be there can be lesser and greater incompatibilities in relationships that's possible some people can be totally incompatible some people can be some somewhat incompatible some but some people can be highly highly compatible but there is no such there's no perfect solution no perfect answer in the world we only have tolerable trade offs so some tolerate some trade offs will be too intolerable some trade offs are relatively tolerable so for us what what is the boundary line for our deciding our tolerable trade offs that's based on understanding the purpose of life from scripture so if you understand the purpose of life is to spiritualize our consciousness then we definitely avoid non violence but to what extent to the extent that it helps us cultivate spiritual consciousness if just trying to be non violent becomes a obsession in itself then we may become more obsessed on that than on being spiritual and that will be counterproductive so similarly with respect to vegan yes some aspects of vegan are good let's say we don't uh, no, uh, that animals are put to a lot of torture at the same time we understand that there is a reciprocity in nature we are not using some why should we humans use animals well we are not using animals it's a, nature has been designed in some ways to be reciprocal so we offer something to the animals the animals offer something to us 
so that way uh, we don't so i think that with the mind values one thing is the tendency to overvalue it and make it supreme value so we don't want to make uh, veganism or environmentalism or animal care into another false god we don't want to make it into the supreme value of life yes all these are valuable because they help us to spiritualize our consciousness and to approach that which is of supreme value that is our eternal relationship with the lord does it answer your question yes it does thank you very much i was very um yeah it was clear at the end basically the, to keep our focus on our spiritual consciousness and to that degree um sort of organize our lives in that way that makes sense thank you thank you very much happy to be of service hi krishna okay yeah um i just have a question um hearing you talk about uh sanatan goswami and lord chaitanya mahaprabhu and i i was thinking about how how uh in in our practice of krishna consciousness you could say we all have external um you know pushings in the right directions you know from our spiritual teachers or from the super soul you know we have some um we have some you know we're impelled in certain ways and of course it has to be confirmed you know is it actually good or not but i'm i'm thinking about how sanatan goswami you know he made this big step you know he gave up his position he gave up his opulences and he went he went to go, go join lord chaitanya and how chaitanya mahaprabhu he encouraged that um and then i'm also thinking about how shri prabhupad he would encourage his disciples to do certain things like okay now you go to south africa and 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 try to establish a temple or wherever london here and there so um so within our practices of krishna consciousness sometimes we may feel that we want you know more of a challenge we want to be challenged um to make advancement you know to make more and more advancement but sometimes it may feel that okay well how am i supposed to be challenged here um am i supposed to challenge myself am i supposed to wait for others to to give me the challenge um so maybe you could just comment on the idea of kind of pushing ourselves to advance more and uh we're kind of waiting for our gurus to kind of push us you know okay. maybe so we all to sometimes need to be pushed or challenged in our spiritual lives so how do we do that we have to look at our teachers own lives if you look at shila prabhupad in his books he did emphasize follow instructions uh in his personal life he took responsibility for following the instructions he was given and for broadly fulfilling the mission that he was given what do i mean by that that bhakti sanan swami thakur told him that uh, sh- share uh, share spiritual knowledge in english in the western world and prabhupad took responsibility for that 
Now, Bhaktisanjana Thakur didn't uh, write a follow-up letter every month. What are you doing? What are you doing? No. Prabhupada was, in that sense, self-motivated. He was motivated by that instruction. He took the responsibility. And now, how to go about doing that? He took his. He 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 worked it worked at it himself. And eventually, after he had built a significant mission in in the West, he felt that uh, he needed to spend more time in India because here there was already a spiritual culture, and here he could create a spiritual foundation. His his disciples could visit India, and apart from Indians themselves becoming devotees, they would need to be come to the holy places. So he built big centers there. And Prabhupada would sometimes tell his disciples, "It is my spiritual master desire to that I." I share Krishna Bhakti in the Western world. Now it is my desire to share Krishna Bhakti back in India again. So, so that now what was Prabhupada doing? Was he doing something different from his spiritual master's instruction? No, he understood the instruction. He understood the spirit of the instruction also. Ultimately, it is not just we want to create some temples as as uh, like putting a flag on Mount Everest. See, I climbed there. Prabhupada was not as interested in just building temples to be like flags. We have so many centers across the world. He wanted the temples to be transformative places where actually devotion is nourished, and he was ready to do whatever it took for that. So one limb of bhakti was to uh, have uh, will come to holy places and be be not have their devotion enriched there. So Prabhupada created facilities, and Prabhupada created facilities in India. So it is because of Prabhupada's visionary work that. Um, now we have a movement at all because the western outreach has decreased to some extent but we have indians taking up responsibilities and so it is prabhupada's vision not just his spiritual master's vision but his own vision also that galvanized and uh, sustained the movement so for each one of us as our movement has become bigger and bigger we may not be in a position where we may be given instructions specifically by by some spiritual guide prabhupada did say that follow instructions but prabhupada also said take responsibility for spiritual spiritual advancement prabhupada would say that we grow spiritually to the extent we take responsibilities now take responsibility means what it is not just take a responsible service yes, that's important uh, in general they doing the service requires say if somebody says sir prasadam here okay that requires some amount of attention but okay make sure that prasadam serving happens properly today that means you have to take responsibility you have to make sure how others are doing service and the prasad is enough available or not it requires much more absorption so taking just doing a service is one thing taking responsibility for a service is a bigger thing or for a area of service is a bigger thing but the biggest responsibility will be taking responsibility for ourselves what does it mean for taking responsibility for ourselves that means that so suppose if we are working in some we were working or we are working in a company uh we are pursuing a career then we would try to have a growth chart for ourselves where do i want to be after 5 years where do i want to be after 10 years this is how i want to grow up so there we would take responsibility okay if i want to if i want to rise to this position in the company then i need to get this i need to learn these skills you know i need to do these courses i need to develop these relationships so we would take responsibility for our career so if krishna is our ultimate lord why should krishna get anything less from us than what our material bosses would get from us so we take responsibility not in the sense of ambition i but in terms of contribution not that i want a big position but 
I want to make the most contribution that I can. I want to be become as versatile an instrument or as valuable an instrument in the hands of Guru and Krishna as I can. So we don't have to wait for somebody to come and give us instructions. We can, if somebody, if some some person who knows us, some spiritual guide who knows us well, because our movement is so big that may not happen. But if somebody knows us well enough, and they can understand our nature and they can help us give these instruction that becomes our driving mission, that's wonderful. But if that doesn't happen, Shri Prabhupada has given us an overarching instruction: become Krishna conscious and share Krishna consciousness with others. So find out how we can do that. Take responsibility for our own selves. Okay, you know, I like to study Bhagavatam. I like to share Bhagavatam. Okay, then train yourself to become a teacher in that direction. You know, I like to guide people. Now, like to doesn't mean it's not, just because I like to doesn't mean it is uh, self-gratificatory. It can be done in the mood of service. There are some things within us which call us to light and there are many things which call us toward the dark. So if we don't respond to the things that call us to the light, we will inadvertently and inevitably respond to the call of the things that take us to the dark. So service attitude is not just following some instructions. Yes, that is there. But service attitude or devotional attitude is ultimately about responding to the things that call us to light. So there can be explicit calls to the light through the instructions that we get from the spiritual master. But there can be implicit calls by the things that we get attracted to. Anything devotional that we are attracted to is a mercy of the Lord. If you are attracted to kirtans, then try to hear kirtans more so that we can be devotionally absorbed and not get distracted. If you are attracted towards uh, deities, then try to find ways in which you can serve the deities more and more. So that way, we can take responsibility for ourselves for becoming as versatile as versatile as valuable an instrument for the Lord. And that's how we can create challenges for ourselves. Does it answer your question? Yes, thank you. So thank you very much for all these thoughtful questions. I'm grateful to be of service.